Welcome to this Walnut Wednesday edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to our special Walnut Wednesday report, we'll bring you a look at national and regional agricultural news here on the show today. And I'll start things off with a look at regional agricultural news right after this. Sponsored by the California Walnut Board and Commission. Supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. A year-end status check of levels at 17 of California's major water supply reservoirs reveals that recent storms, while certainly helpful, would need to be repeated several times over early in the new year early in the new year to get the Golden State on track to end the ongoing drought, now beginning its fourth year. The three-year period from 2020 to 2022 is now the driest on record dating back to 1896, and the long-range forecasts suggest drier-than-average conditions will persist. Only one of these 17 major reservoirs, Millerton Lake along the eastern edge of the Central Valley, is currently above the historical average level at 135 percent of normal. In contrast, the largest reservoirs in the state system, Shasta, Oroville, and Trinity are currently at 55, 59, and 39 percent of their historical averages, respectively. On a positive note, California's snowpack is shaping up to be good, although it's still early in the season. Snowpack is needed to fill reservoirs and rivers. Statewide snowpack is currently at 162 percent of normal levels for the state, according to the California Department of Food and Agriculture. The Northern Sierra Trinity region is currently at 133 percent of normal. The Central Sierra is at 100. 60% and the Southern Sierra is at 193%. However, the statewide average is still only 51% of the normal level for April 1st, traditionally the end of the state's major precipitation period. So again, the state needs storms throughout the early part of the year to keep up the pace. It is well known that American agricultural employers who anticipate a shortage of domestic workers can fill seasonal farm jobs with temporary foreign workers through the H-2A visa program. The Department of Labor officially certified approximately 317,000 temporary jobs in fiscal year 2021 under the H-2A program. That number was more than six times the number of jobs certified in 2005. Only about 80% of these certified jobs in 2021 resulted in the issuance of a visa. The program has grown partly in response to current U.S. U.S. domestic workers finding jobs outside of American agriculture and a drop in newly arrived immigrants looking for farm jobs in the U.S. Six states accounted for about half of the H-2A jobs that were filled in 2021 including California, Florida, Georgia, Washington, North Carolina, and Louisiana. Nationally, the average H-2A contract offered 24 weeks of employment and 39.3 hours per week at $13 an hour. A year-end status check of levels at 17 of California's major water supply reservoirs reveals that recent storms, while certainly helpful, would need to be repeated several times over early in the new year to get the Golden State on track to end the ongoing drought, now beginning its fourth year. The three-year period from 2020 to 2022 is now the driest on record dating back to 1896, and the long-range forecasts suggest drier-than-average conditions will persist. Only one of these 17 major reservoirs, Millerton Lake along the east 
eastern edge of the Central Valley is currently above the historical average level at 135 percent of normal. In contrast, the largest reservoirs in the state system, Shasta, Oroville, and Trinity, are currently at 55, 59, and 39 percent of their historical averages, respectively. On a positive note, California's snowpack is shaping up to be good, although it's still early in the season. Snowpack is needed to fill reservoirs and rivers. Statewide snowpack is currently at 162% of normal levels for the state, according to the California Department of Food and Agriculture. The Northern Sierra Trinity region is currently at 133% of normal. The Central Sierra is at 160%, and the Southern Sierra is at 193%. However, the statewide average is still only 51 percent of the normal level for April 1st, traditionally the end of the state's major precipitation period. So again, the state needs storms throughout the early part of the year to keep up the pace. As part of the company's Westpac Cares Committee Community Involvement Program, Westpac Avocado of Marietta, California has donated a load of 134,500 avocados to Brighter Bites, a Houston-based nonprofit that delivers fresh fruits and vegetables directly into families' hands. The organization has provided more than 50 million pounds of produce and hundreds of thousands of nutrition education materials to more than 500,000 individuals in California, Texas, Florida, New York, and Washington, D.C. As part of its ongoing sustainability efforts, Westpac is dedicated to making a positive difference in a community and doing its part to ensure that everyone has the opportunity to thrive, according to the company. Leah Groves has recently been appointed as chairwoman of the Young Farmers and Ranchers Program, a subcommittee of the California Farm Bureau. Groves grew up in Coffee Creek with her family. They own Alpen and Cellars Winery and Vineyard. She graduated from Fresno State University in 2018. The Environmental Protection Agency has six months to make an Endangered Species Act determination on the insecticide sulfoxiflor after the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit in San Francisco has ruled the agency did not meet those obligations when it amended the chemicals registration in 2019. Though environmental groups that sued the agency touted the ruling as a win, ultimately the court ruled against a request to vacate the 2019 decision altogether. This means that sulfoxiflor can continue to be used while the ESA review is ongoing. In a ruling handed down on December 21st, the Ninth Circuit said vacating the registration would hurt agriculture. The panel, however, did not vacate the agency's decision because a vacator might end up harming the environment more than disrupting the agricultural industry, according to the court in its opinion. The Ninth Circuit found that EPA ignored the previous court order in 2016 by reinstating the chemicals registration without completing an ESA review. The panel held that EPA failed to meet the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act notice and comment required because it did not allow the public to comment on requested amendments to the 2016 registration to reinstate expanded usage of the chemical, according to the court. Sulfoxiflor is used to control piercing and sucking insects, such as the tarnished plant bug in cotton. Soil and Crop Incorporated is your number one resource for sustainable nutrition. Growers are faced with difficult challenges, and Soil and Crop Inc. has the experience, fertilizer, and biological portfolio to dramatically increase yield and performance in your troubled orchards and fields. Contact Soil and Crop Incorporated today for a free consultation on how we can help reverse the challenges you face as a conventional or organic grower so you can increase your bottom line and become a better sustainable farmer. Contact us today at 559-564-1236 or visit our website at www.callnrg.com. 
soil and crop, putting nature to work for you. So Robert, the California Walnut Conference is really the one event of the year where walnut growers, consultants, and other industry members get to hear top to bottom information from current crop and marketing conditions to new crop management techniques all the way to new trends. Uh, So from your fresh perspective, Robert, as the recently appointed head of the board, how important would you say it is that industry attend the conference and really acquire this information? Yeah, you know, this this year, the, I think this particular conference takes on a completely uh, expanded role. Uh, given the challenges that we're facing in the walnut industry due to the, the heat wave and the, and the crop uh, conditions, um, it, it becomes even more important for, you know, communication and uh, getting together with growers, handlers um, in this particular format, I think is very conducive to continuing the dialogue. We're... Um, We'll be talking, uh, you know, through the event, um, uh, both at our booth uh, with growers on specific issues. But in general, uh, you know, we will start with a panel on Thursday uh, at twelve thirty that has Gary Ford from uh, Diamond. He's the uh, co-chairman for Diamond. Um, Bill Toss, who is the chairman of the board for the California Walnut uh, Board, um, and then we have. Um, Chuck Crane, uh, who is obviously one of the leading handlers in the industry, and Brent Barton, who is a grower um, and handler uh, for the, the more in the middle of, uh, part of the state. We get a good representation of knowledgeable people that will be talking about the the issues that we're facing right now as a result of the, you know the current crop conditions, and then really um, describing some of the efforts that we're undertaking to um, counteract that. Uh, we're, we're looking at various programs working with government agencies and hopefully by the turn of the year, we'll have more specific information about some of the emergency declarations and what that may mean to growers and the industry in general. Um, and then at the same time, also underscore the importance of continuing to um, market uh, you know, our product on an international and domestic basis and continue to, to support the foundation of the programs that have been successful in the past, um, but clearly having to understand, you know, the challenges that we're facing and uh, how we're ha- adjusting on the go. Certainly. And Robert, like you said, uh, something special and unique with the conference this year, this go around is, is that you'll be moderating that, that panel, the state of the industry panel with industry leaders. Um, can you actually explain a little bit about some of the topics that will be discussed during that panel amongst those folks and and why you really chose them? Yeah, I, I think they represent a, a really good, strong uh, cross-section uh, of the industry, uh, people that both have you know uh, uh, good experience on the domestic and international markets. Um, certainly, we have two growers that um, can, can f- represent some of the challenges that they're seeing and some of the responses that they're uh, enacting, if you will. Uh, you know, they. Uh, I don't want to be disingenuous here. The, we're we're not going to get up there and talk about all the marketing programs and uh, what uh, my understanding is what what typically would have been done. Um, you know, to show the, the industry this the specifics of the market development programs. This year, we're we're facing some unique challenges, and I felt this panel represented, you know, a, a really good cross ma- uh, section of the industry that can talk about what are the immediate things that we're looking at. 
uh, the challenges that they're seeing in their operations, um, and what the short-term and long-term implications are uh, of the, the kind of crop that we have. And then really start think, uh, talking about some of the um, uh, programs and alternatives that we have to help growers manage through this extremely difficult year. Sponsored by the California Walnut Board and Commission, supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. The U.S. Department of Agriculture mailed the 2022 Census of Agriculture paper questionnaires to all known agriculture producers across the nation and Puerto Rico. Last month, producers received a survey code with an invitation to respond online. Any producer in the mountain region states of Arizona, Colorado, Montana, New Mexico, Utah, and Wyoming who did not respond online now has the option to complete the ag census at agcounts.usda.gov or by mail. Producers who have already responded to the 2022 Census of Agriculture online do not need to respond again. The deadline for response is February 6th of 2023. USA is forecasting an agricultural trade deficit in 2023. While deficits have happened in the past, the agency has never forecast one in advance until this year. The agency says ag exports are projected to reach $190 billion next year, but imports are projected to rise to $199 billion. Seth Meyer, chief economist with USDA, says an ag trade deficit is not a major cause for concern. He says he's in the opinion that having both rising exports and imports is a good thing, and farmers can sell their products at a good price while consumers can shop for what they want. Ag exports are forecast to set another record during the fiscal year 2022 at $196.4 billion. If realized, that number would top the previous record of $177 billion in 2021. American exports currently face major pressure from the strong dollar value making U.S. products more expensive in the world's markets. The recently passed omnibus spending legislation contained the reauthorization of the Pesticide Registration Improvement Act, something important to CropLife America. The organization says it will strengthen and improve the Environmental Protection Agency's pesticide registration process. The EPA scientists work diligently to comply with the multiple laws that govern pesticide regulation, but in recent years, the agency has fewer available scientists to do that, according to Chris Novak, president of CLA. The reauthorization of PREA is a first step in improving the efficiency of the pesticide registration process and in providing more certainty for farmers, consumers, and CropLife's member companies that EPA will meet its statutory obligations. PREA provides critically needed resources for EPA's Office of Pesticide Programs. The increased funding, coupled with a variety of process and technology improvements, will allow EPA to increase staffing and better meet regulation timeframes. Another visit from the polar vortex last week that spread through most of the country had temperatures making a drastic turnaround to end the month. Due to the extreme cold, temperatures for the month of December are significantly below normal for most of the country outside the southern plains and northeast. But January is going to be a drastic change from the last two months in one significant way. The polar vortex will be much stronger. Typically, La Nina conditions in a tropical Pacific Ocean led to a weakened polar vortex, the stream that circulates around the North 
pole. When a polar vortex is weak, it tends to break into pieces, sending cold Arctic air southward. We've seen a few of those events so far in November and December, with the one last week the most intense of them all. Conversely, when the polar vortex is strong, the jet stream circles the North Pole rather easily and uninterrupted. That locks the cold Arctic air closer to the North Pole. January is going to feature a much stronger polar vortex in the first two weeks for the most part. It may not be completely over the North Pole. Instead, it will be dislodged a bit into Siberia and the North Pacific that will help to build the source of Arctic air in Russia. Eventually, this pattern will break down and return to a fragmented polar vortex that will bring new threats of Arctic air to North America that should hold off until either late January or early February. The models are still a little bit unclear. Dairy prices in the fourth quarter of 2022 are what many inside the industry consider okay. Mike North, principal at Everdot Ag, says the dairy markets are in a transition part of the calendar. Yeah, and this is that awkward time of the year when we move out of that holiday buy-up and start transitioning into becoming competitive in the export space. And so it's kind of stable, but definitely has a much softer tone than what we had just a few weeks ago. And as we observe the domestic buyers slowly stepping away from the space, we've watched as cheese has come down, we've watched as butter has come down, still at decent prices, but certainly much softer than what we dealt with in late November. On the supply side of the market, the industry is seeing an increase in production. Cow numbers have been rebuilding back into the herd. Productivity gains are also being experienced. And the supply-demand situation is sustainable, at least for the moment. He says they run a very fine line of balance between supply and demand just due to the perishability of dairy products. USA Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack says it's premature to ask if billions in Inflation Reduction Act conservation funds can be transferred to the upcoming Farm Bill, even as the need will likely exist. The decision will be up to Congress, but Vilsack and the administration will have a say in whether to use some of the Inflation Reduction Act's $16 billion for programs like EQIP and CSP for the new Farm Bill. But asked about that during a December press call, Vilsack says it's too early to decide. At this point in time, we don't know what the specific baseline is going to be from CBO. We don't know what demands there may very well be on the existing Farm Bill programs and any modifications or changes. We don't know what savings could potentially be occurred from programs that are currently within the Farm Bill baseline that could be because of lack of demand or because of changes or whatever might actually create a set of savings. He says he heard directly from groups at the COPS26 climate conference in Egypt. There was a genuine expression to me of support for maintaining and keeping the conservation resources as they have been appropriated and as they have been directed uh, under the Inflation Reduction Act. But the question remains if some of those resources can be repurposed to meet rising farm bill costs from input inflation, low existing support levels, disasters, war, and supply chain problems. Doing so may require spending offsets somewhere else, but no one doubts the next farm bill will be a heavy lift for no other reason than the cost of farming has risen dramatically from the 2018 farm bill. Bee Hero is the leading almond pollination provider. We deliver measurable and verifiable pollination outcomes for almond growers and turn a previously unquantified fingers crossed gamble into a controllable expenditure. For the first time, growers can know exactly what they are getting for their money during pollination. Bee Hero accurately evaluates your bees' pollination contribution in real time and gives you unprecedented visibility into the progress of bloom. Don't leave pollination to chance. 
Be sure, be precise, be hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP of Sales at 559-467-9699. Be hero, superior bees, superior pollination. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. Thank you.